California dreaming in Palser. The South Carolina legislature is back in session. More good economic news and the greatest bovine love story ever written. All this and more on the Anderson Observer podcast, news from people you trust for February 4th, 2018. As usual, we're brought to you by Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill and Sullivan's Caters, the best restaurant and the best top-notch food for any of your events. I'll tell you more about Sullivan's and some big news about what's going on with them later. But first, do we have six more weeks of winter? Let's hope the Groundhog's record of inaccuracy continues. I said he's he's accurate less than 40% of the time, 30-something percent of the time. So let's hope for an early spring. Until then, it's California Dreaming in Pelzer. Um, I'll tell you more about that in just a minute. Well, this this week there was a few news items of note we need to, to get by first here. Electrolux has announced that $250 million expansion last year, but now we kind of know what their plans were. They're moving their St. Cloud freezer division to Anderson, and so with nearly 2,000 employees already here, this move solidifies the company's long-term commitment to the Anderson area and has been one of our great employers. And it'll also mean more highly skilled high-paying jobs at the plant. They're not going to expand by too many jobs, but the jobs they have and are going to have there are going to be higher-paying and call for higher skills. Anderson County was also the only county in the state to announce three top-10 economic development projects and capital investment and job creation during 2017, and we topped Berkeley, Spartanburg, Newberry, Richland counties. Uh, So Anderson is the industry recruitment in 2017 continues this nine-year period of economic development activities that have brought more than $3.3 billion in capital investment and 5,300 new jobs to Anderson County since 2009, and that was coming out of that uh, recession slash almost depression. Those announced expansions, if you need to remember, include not only the Electrolux, Lux $250 million that I just mentioned. You know, Electrolux, if you don't know, they're a global appliance manufacturer. Uh, but also the global technology and service supplier, Robert Bosch, one of the top companies in the country uh, with $152 million investment on their expansion. Um, they ranked fifth and seventh statewide, respectively, in capital investment announcements. The global orthopedic medical device company, Arthrex, announcement this past year that they're coming with a new surgical device manufacturing operation in Anderson and expect to create more than 1,000 high-paying jobs is one of the biggest. I think it was the second highest uh, job creation announcement in the state of South Carolina for 2017. All that continues to be good news as Anderson has bounced back from those dark economic days of 2008 in a big way. And we need to uh, pat the folks on the back who are involved in that. Uh, Anderson County Administrator Rusty Burns, Economic Development Director Burris Nelson, Anderson County Council and Anderson County Legislative Delegation all working together is the reason Anderson County has moved faster and higher than most of the rest of the state during this past decade of recovery. And remember, Anderson County remains the top county in the state with international investment, 53 companies representing 18 different countries. And, you know, one of the things that's important about this is how well those folks have worked together and getting to know the legislative delegation offers more proof of this. I caught up with delegation chairman, South Carolina Senator Mike Gambrell recently, and here's what he had to say about why he thinks that the cooperative effort of the county and the state and the local municipalities have made such a difference in Anderson County. The biggest thing with our delegation is, like I've said earlier, we got a lot of firepower on our delegation. We've got Brian White as chairman of Ways and Means. He's our senior member. Uh, everybody knows the state budget begins in the House, and that begins with Brian White and his committee. Uh, next up in seniority is myself. I was in the House for 10 years, and now I've been in the Senate going on my second and third year. Uh, and then behind me, we have Miss Ann Thayer. Miss Thayer's been just a godsend for our delegation. She's a hard worker, and she, she's, she's really got 
her heart's in the right place. And all our delegation members, their heart's in the right place. And then behind her, you've got uh, Representative Gagnon, and, uh, who is, represents mostly Abbeville County, and, but he also represents the lower part of Anderson County, Holland Park, Star, Iva, that area, and he works with us hand in hand on, on things that we need. Uh, we've got Representative Putman from up in the Powdersville area, which is an incredibly fast-growing area, uh, and, and he's really had his hand and been involved in the, in the development in that area. And also we've got Representative Jay West, who's newly elected in House District 7 of Belden Honey Path, Star, and Iva. Uh, is just jumped in with both feet, doing a good job, fitting right in. Uh, newest, newest member of the delegation is Senator Richard Cash, who's, who's as he stated earlier, he'd been in the Senate for one day. But uh, and and the thing that we fight and that we try to do as a delegation, with the death of Senator Odell and Senator Bryant moving on to Lieutenant Governor, we lost about 40 years experience. Uh, seniority, I guess I should say, just in the Senate. And in the Senate, everything's about seniority. But they have, the Senate has been very good to welcome Senator Cash and myself in and, and presented us with some opportunities to help make up that difference for Anderson County. And the good thing about our delegation, I brag on our delegation a lot, we're, most of the time we're all pulling in the same direction. Uh, you know, do we have differences? Sure you do. Uh, anytime you get a group of three or more, you're going to have differences. But it's always constructive differences. Uh, you know, we try to settle our differences behind closed doors. We don't try to make a big out-front public show like some do. That's not always the case in Columbia. Uh, a lot of delegations, and y'all have heard me use this example, a lot of delegations don't even sit together. And I think that's a real shame. And, but I think with our delegation trying to work together and pull in the same direction, along with our relationship with our county council, our local governments, our education partners, uh, our public education partners, I think we're seeing the fruition, the fruits of that labor realized in Anderson County with the announcements that we've had, the economic development announcements we've had. And, and you know, I'll be honest with you, the quality of life in Anderson County has really come to the forefront with some of the things we've done. I, I look at Wren Park in the city, and then, then, then uh, you know, and the, and the things that we tried, the walking tracks that we, the county did several years ago, uh, and we tried, of course, Lake Hartwell. We're, we're sitting on a gym in Lake Hartwell. I, I tell them we should have every corporate headquarters of every major company in America because of Lake Hartwell. The things that have happened at Green Pond Landing with, in conjunction with ourselves, DNR, and the county. Uh, you know, the Bassmaster Classic is the big one that you hear all about, but there's, they have a fishing tournament out there almost weekly. And it's incredible what these things contribute to our local economy. Uh, it just mushrooms out. Uh, you know, I've always heard that uh, for every dollar you invest, it's about a 30 to 1 uh, return. And, 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 and Senator Leatherman's always said, he said, I'll tell you right now, he said that 30 to 1 is conservative. And he's right. He's exactly right. And I think all those things have come together, and Anderson County is now seeing the fruits of, of that. And, and that, that's important because, you know, it, we're, we're in Columbia, we're at the state level, and our federal delegation. Our federal delegation works well with us also. We can pick up the phone. We're constantly in touch with them. They're in touch with us. We're in touch with county council. They're in touch with us. Our local governments, our educational friends, the Clemson Anderson University, Tri-County Tech uh, District, five school districts in Anderson County. Uh, you know, can't say enough about the five school districts. It hadn't always been this way, but now the five school districts are kind of pulling in the same direction. Uh, it used to be a real boundary war years ago, 
and now they're working together. And like I say, with the construction, with the Career and Technology Center that Districts 1 and 2 have had for a number of years, working with Tri-County Tech and Greenville Tech. And also what we're seeing with Districts 3, 4, and 5 building their Career and Technology Center, it, it just continues to get better in Anderson County. And, I, you know, we don't, we don't take full credit, boy, but, but you know, it, it, it's, we play a part. I think we play a vital, important part. When I, when I was first elected, my predecessor in the House, Ronnie Townsend, he gave me the best advice I think I ever heard. He said, when you get to the General Assembly, he says, pick out two or three people that think like you do and watch how they work. And, and like it or not, there is a system of how things work in Columbia. And I, I've always been a proponent that you get more done working with it, learning to work in that, within that system than you do trying to beat your head against the wall and fight that system. Uh, you know, and, and two of those people that I picked out was on our delegation. It was Dan Cooper and Brian White. Uh, you know, they had been there long enough uh, to, to know how to get things through and get things through the system. And that's what I garnered from my first years in the General Assembly, and we've tried to pass that on to our newer members. Uh, and that, like I say, you, you build on that. And, and, and everybody's got a different area of expertise. Uh, Ms. Thayer. Ms. Thayer was our, she was on foster care review for years. Uh, she's kind of the person we lean to on that. Uh, you know, economic development and, and, and dollars and cents, that's Brian's specialty. Uh, my, my, I grew up in the emergency services. Uh, I was in the Anderson County Fire Department, still am. Uh, emergency services is kind of my area. Uh, you know, Jay West is, is involved in education and also in economic development. Uh, you know, and Mr. Putnam, he's involved as far as uh, in, in his area in Powdersville. He's, he kind of keeps his feet on the ground as far as constituent issues and things. And uh, even even in uh, Representative Gagnon, and also now our newest member, Senator Cash, uh, you know we all complement each other, but we continuously try to build by kind of picking each other's brains. Uh, you know, because what we what we fight in Columbia, Brian and I are the two senior members of the delegation now. Uh, we've been there, we've seen a lot, but you know you have to fight the urge to not have an open mind. To new ideas, and the, our delegations, the build, the biggest building block for our delegation has been, we've got a good blend of experience plus newer ideas coming in, and, and I think that's kind of helped build the trust on our delegation with each other, and also the Anderson County delegations looked at as a whole in the General Assembly. A lot of people come and talk to us about things, and we're always happy to, to help, and you know, and then that's that's. You know, that's kind of the way we were raised. <laughs> it all goes back to your raising, I guess you should say. But, you know, and, and people appreciate that, especially now. But I think those are the biggest building blocks that we, we saw as we kind of, you know, as we change over, the newer members kind of watch the members that have been there for a while, and, and we win, we learn from them also. And I think that's the biggest building block for our delegation. It's kind of got us to where we are. Sure. Makes a big difference. Uh, the thing, you know, by us working together and keeping everybody involved in the process, uh, that way we meet with them probably face-to-face, -face, Brian and I, and then other members of the delegation may see them out to dinner or they may call them up and just ask them. And it's, it's very uh, fluid and they hear the same message. And that means a lot. 
because you know when when everybody's playing the same tune and pulling in the same direction, it's good things happen. And I think that's been a big plus. And like I say, you know, can't discount our county our county folks. Same way, uh, you know, we've all got Anderson County's best interest in mind in mind when we when we go on these uh, economic development trips, and it, it's paid off. Uh, you know, we we always talk about the the the, Bo, uh, the you know Boeing in Charleston. We got Michelin here in Anderson County, uh, who's a big employer. Um, you know, of course our Arthrex outfit, first quality, uh, and then also Bosch. The Bosch people always tell me, said, you know, everybody says Boeing, BMW, and Michelin. Well, Bosch is the fourth largest employer in the state. And the last things we had, and our Bosch friends keep telling us, we keep waiting on y'all to exclude us in that fourth. He said, always think the fourth one. Don't stop at three. And that's a good problem to have. Uh, you know, and, and one thing with economic development is they know when they come to Anderson County, from the state level, from the federal level, to county level, down to the local level, that once we get them here, we don't forget them. We keep meeting with them. We keep trying to enhance their position in Anderson County. And it, it just improve, constantly improves the quality of life for our citizens. I think they are. I think it started out as a curiosity. <laughs> Let's face it, we're all Southerners. And, and it was so different. And I've had folks tell me that, you know, they, they, walk, they come and visit Anderson lots of times before we ever meet with them. And they'll go to a restaurant somewhere in the county or downtown Anderson, and they'll walk down the street. And the one thing that sticks to them is everybody they meet speaks to them. And they just they go back and they go, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> but then all of a sudden, well, maybe it's not wrong. That's the one thing we hear over and over and over is how friendly our folks are and how willing to listen and talk to them they are, whether they know them or if they first met them. And that's, that's the one thing that's always kind of tickled me is, is when they come, it's just a totally different thing. And I think that goes back to our citizens. They present the face of Anderson County before we ever get involved. And then it, it makes it a lot easier. My background was in the fire service. Uh, I was chief of friendship. I grew up, when I was a little boy, there's a picture of me. In, in the beginning, Anderson County, the communities built the fire departments. There's a picture of me when I was six, seven years old, riding a scoop pan, being pulled behind an Alice Chalmer tractor building, the, setting the foundation for the fire department known as Friendship Fire Department now in our community. I grew up in the fire service. My dad was involved in the fire service. I was in fire service as an officer and as a fire chief. Became involved with, and you know, that kind of gets you involved on the local level with things that affect the fire service. Then I was elected chairman of the Anderson County Fire Chief Association. I was also named to the Anderson County EMS Commission. That kind of, we kept involved with the local levels, but it also, that kind of garnered our interest in statewide issues that affected the emergency services. Uh, and, and I always help folks with Senator Odell, Representative Townsend, always help them on their campaigns. And the, the, the kind of funny story, uh, Ronnie Townsend called me one night and he said, uh, you know, so we've got a news conference tomorrow. And I said, well, what y'all got going on? He laughed. He said, well, I'm retired. And I told him, I said, well, what have I got to do to talk you out of it? And he laughed. He said, what have I got to do to talk you into it? Well, I lost the argument. You know? <laughs> and, and the funny story is uh, Renee and I talked about it and prayed about it and finally went down to tell my parents. And uh, I'm an only child, and, and my, my, I went down to tell my parents. I said, what would you think if I ran for the South Carolina House of Representatives? This was back in 06. 
my daddy looked me squarely in the face. He said, boy, have you lost your mind. <laughs> and my mom was going, neighbor, neighbor, you know. <laughs> so we just kind of looked at each other and wandered back home. <laughs> but it, but after we got into it and decided we were going to run, my dad and my mother probably worked as hard for me as anybody. My dad's my sign guy. He always has been. And he handles all the signs. And he doesn't, he doesn't want any help. He said, nope, we got it. And he's now 84. And, but uh, but that's kind of how I got it. That's the progression of I got involved. And and couldn't have had two better mentors than Ronnie Townsend and Billy O'Dell. Uh, you know, I, I always tell a story when I first got elected. I said, uh, you know, I was an incoming freshman in the House. I was ready to change the world. And I'd come up with some earth-shattering legislation. I'd always take it to Senator O'Dell. Senator O'Dell had been in the, in the Senate for 18 years when I first got elected. Billy would always do the same thing. He'd always look it over, and he'd read it all the way through. And he'd always reach over, and he'd pat me on the arm. He said, Mikey, we've tried this. It don't work. He said, but if you want to try it again, we will. So after about the fourth or fifth trip, I quit going. <laughs> but he was as patient with me. <laughs> and, and I'll never forget those. I'll never forget those memories and that help from he, he and Ronnie on that. And then and once we were elected, uh, like I say, our, our, our delegation, Dan Cooper, Ann Cooper's one of the smartest people I've ever met. Uh, he's got a, fi a mind for figures that he remembers stuff that I forget to write down. Um, he was very inst instrumental in, in furthering my political career. And then, of course, at two years ago, January 6th, this year is when we lost Senator O'Dell. And uh, that's when we had another hard decision to make. And, and, we, and we decided to do it. And the people have been awful good to us. They've been real receptive to, to, to the things that we that we campaign on and stand for. And we were, we were fortunate enough. And I say this to every group that I talk to. I, I truly mean it when I tell you thank you for the honor and privilege of allowing me to serve you in the South Carolina General Assembly because it is an honor and a privilege. And it should always be looked as an honor and a privilege by us. Uh, you know, I, I remember when I was growing up, uh, Fred Moore was our representative, and good Lord, Fred could move heaven and earth, I thought. And same way, you know, and then Ronnie followed, and then it, it came, and then Senator Odell came along. But it, and then, like I say, the, it, it's just uh, it's kind of a building process, but that, that's really how I got involved. You know, th this thing runs in a cycle. You know, there's some new topics that come up every once in a while, but most of the processes are still the same. And, and it, it's always good. We should never forget the previous members who are of our delegation who have been there and seen uh, the Dan Coopers, you know, the Durrani Townsends. Uh, you know, it just, the, you know, just, you've got to draw on that wisdom. And that's one thing that, that we try to instill in our new members on the delegation. You know, call them up and talk to them. Because we're, we're now the people that are representing the people that they represent. Ronnie Townsend was in the house for 22 years. You know, you guys, that's the best source of information in the world. You know. But it, uh, you've got to draw on that knowledge. There's a lot of institutional knowledge. And the one thing that's kind of scary in the General Assembly, in the next probably one to two election cycles, you're going to see what I call a lot of institutional knowledge leave. Uh, you've got some people that are near retirement, and then you have the usual turnover. My freshman class had 21 members. We were 21 brand new freshmen coming into the house in 06. And, uh, you know, I think our, uh, I was elected to special election in the Senate, but then the next year there was, I think, nine, eight or nine come into the Senate, and eight or, eight or nine out of 46 is a huge turnover. 
the thing we've got to be careful of is, is I call it throw out the baby with the bathwater. You know, there's a reason those folks have been there for a long time. They know how to get things done. And that's why their constituents keep sending them to Columbia. And that's what we strive to do. I'm born and raised in the friendship community between Belton and Honeypath. I live in my grandparents' home place. I moved 100 yards up the road from my parents, whether that's a good thing or not. Uh, I'm married. I've been, I'll be married uh, 28 years this March 31st to uh, Renee, and bless Renee's heart, she's been with me every step of the way, and we couldn't do what we do without our families. Uh, you know, and that's very important to me. Uh, you know, you'll hear other members of the delegation say this. My wife probably knows as much about state, as much about state government and the workings of it as I do because they're kind of our sounding board. Uh, but they also keep us grounded. You know, you, you come home on Thursday and, oh boy, you've been a South Carolina senator. Where well, you walk in the door, what well, a trash needs to be taken out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm a small, I've been involved in the community all my life. Uh, I'm a small businessman. Uh, we run a rural trash service in the lower part of the county. We cut grass and landscape. I grade cows one day a week for the South Carolina Department of Agriculture. We raise beef cattle on our farm. And I tell them, uh, you know, the reason we do so many things, I'm obviously not good at any one thing to make a living at it. And of course, I'm got the part-time job in Columbia. Yeah. I, I always tell the story. Uh, we get paid one check. The day we walk in, our check's laid on our desk. And uh, when you walk in, well, what they didn't tell you, they said, oh, you're going to make $10,400 a year. Well, they take out insurance, retirement, Social Security, health insurance. We pay $125 to park in the parking garage a year. <laughs> So my $10,400 averages a net of about $3,300, a little over $3,300 a year. And somebody always asks, well, what are you going to do with that $3,300? I said, go home and pay taxes. <laughs> uh, you know, and now we do, get, we do get a stipend, a monthly stipend for in-district. It's $1,000, and they take taxes out on that. It comes out to about $800. Uh, you know, and I dare anybody to follow me for a month and tell me I'm making money on that $800 if you're doing your job the way you should. Uh, you know, I, it's kind of a two-edged sword. Would you get better people if you paid more? Maybe. Maybe not. Uh, you know, but the thing about it, pay really doesn't come into consideration in what we do. It's pure public service. It is pure public service, and you've got to want to be there to be there. And, uh, you know, I tell everybody, I said, nah, I said, don't believe that stuff you read on the blogs and everything else. I said, we're not getting room. I said, if there's a room full of money, I've been looking for it for 12 years, and it's not there. But, uh, it, uh, you know, like I say, and, and I, I dare say, I do say, 98% of the people are in Columbia for the right reason, for public service, and, and they've got their constituents held in mind. Uh, my phone number, 864-844-3614. My email, MikeGamble at sccenate.gov. Uh, come see me. Call me up. I'll meet you. Uh, you know, come call me up. I, I, the, that's the part I like. I had a meeting yesterday morning with, a, with two parents uh, uh, of, a, of a young son that had tragically been killed a couple years ago in an incident that we all know about. Uh, but that's where you really stay grounded. And, and the key to what we do is when I'm, whether I'm talking to you or who I'm talking to, you gotta remember what those folks issue is the most important thing in their world right then. 
And that's the one thing Senator Odell had the best, the biggest gift for that I've ever had. When you talked to him, you were his number one focus and priority. And, and it ta- it's an art. You learn that over time, I think. But, you know, email is the best thing in the world for us that ever happened because, and I'll ask everybody that calls me with an issue, I said, do you do email? And if they say yes, I said, well, if you would, put it in an email because I can forward that email that's written in their words straight to whoever the person is that can help them or address that problem. You know, I don't need to get in the middle and booger up the explanation, you know, because it's fresh on their mind. And they know the ins and out of it. So, uh, you know, but that, that's the best way. You know, and, and like I say, we're out in our community. I, uh, you know, I always use. You know, you see me at church. You see me at the bank. You see me out to eat. You see me in the grocery store. Uh, you know, and the most satisfying thing that we do is you see somebody out and they say, "Hey, you know, you helped me with something, something, or whatever." If they got an, even if they got an issue that we couldn't help them with, uh, you know, that, that that that's the crux of what we do. Always remember when you meet that person on the street, you don't know that you don't know, you don't know where they're from, and you don't know why they're here. They may be from a company. They may be from you know. Just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, you know, be the friendly, conscientious citizens that we've got in Anderson County. That helps us more. And if you've ever got a question about an issue, you know, we live in a social media world now with Facebook and uh, Twitter and all this kind of stuff. Somebody put something out there that doesn't look exactly right, or says something about us. You know, we, you know, we're all crooks. We're in Columbia. We're doing, but call us. Yeah, Mike said just give them a call and they'll tell you the truth. So if you have any questions, call the your representative or the legislative delegation. Mike gave his information there. You can talk to them. And one of the things that we we're talking about, and one of the keys they all focus on, is economic development. And one of the things that has helped economic development enhances it and one of the things that international companies particularly ask about is quality of life issues and one of the things that anderson has continued to do well and in addition to me saying one of the things 800 times is growing uh, an art scene our arts scene has really grown in the past few years and one of the real um, movers in that is one of the newcomers the milltown players which launched in 2014 i talked to their founder and, and creative director Will Ragland this week about the group and about their current show, California Dreaming, Surf the Sounds of the 60s. All right, well, let's, first, let's start, Will, with the, with the show going on right now. Uh, tell me a little bit about the what, what was the idea to do the California show, and how did that come to be? Sure. In the past, Milltown Players has put together an original concert based on a theme, and you'll find that many theaters in the upstate in the area have found success in doing that. And our biggest show to date was Christmas in Dixie, which was a country music holiday show last season. And we wanted to come up with something similar to that, but in a a different way. And the idea was we were thinking about originally Beach Boys music. Right. And we thought, wouldn't it be fun to put together a surf rock California-based show in the coldest part of the year as a means of escape from the cold, gloomy time of the winter season. And eventually it grew into the idea of featuring all of these bands that were from or based or had something to do with California and the beach and the West Coast. And that grew into 
a set list that we thought appropriately would be called California Dreamin'. You're dreaming of um, fun in the sun, of a warmer summertime, and you're sitting here in January with all this terrible weather. And we thought, man, wouldn't that be fun to do a concert show in that spot? Now, is that you like that kind of music? Is that your kind of music? <clears throat> I love that kind of music. I yeah. adore the 60s. Yeah. So it's all hits from the 60s. And... You know, when we pick our seasons, when we, when we put together our shows, the first thing we think about is our audience and what our audience would like to see. And two-thirds of our audience are seniors, which means that they are 65 years or older. So a majority of our audience are above 65. And so we thought if we feature the songs of the 60s, for many of our patrons, that is the music of their youth when they went to high school. And we thought, wouldn't they really enjoy getting to relive that and taking this musical journey back in time um, to some of their favorite music? And some of the best popular music in America came out in the 60s. And uh, I just think it'd be so much fun to see it and experience that live on stage. And you got how many more performances of this? We have 12, 12, 12 more performances. So plenty we of run through February the 18th, and it's been a very popular with our audiences. We've already exceeded uh, 4,300 ticket reservations total so far, which is higher than normal. And uh, the audiences have, have been very responsive, sometimes giving them standing ovations in the middle of the show. <laughs> and um, singing along, dancing along, moving to the beat. And I just love being in a room full of people that are just happy and engaged and having a great time. And uh, that, to me, is what it's all about, to somehow affect the community in a positive way through performance. I just love it. Well, and that's so, you know, that kind of takes me to the next place I was going to go with this is uh, when you started the Milltown Players, uh, that has been your vision and has continued to grow, and you've had really good success with it. And now you're taking a further step forward, right? Yes, sir. Very, very difficult step for me personally. Um, as you know, Milltown Players continues to grow. Uh, we have increased our audience base by 10,000 every year for the past three years. And now we exceed, last, last year we exceeded 33,000 in attendance. And so our offerings for next year, season five, have grown to 11 different um, performances that we're going to be offering. Six main stage shows, uh, a competition piece, a youth show, and three concerts. And we have a staff of six, so we have uh, part-time and full-time employees at Milltown Players. And we just continue to grow. We have an education program now. We offer classes. Uh, we have a new director of education who's offering um, classes to both young people, high schoolers, and adults. And so, so much is going on that I had to really look at what I was going to be able to handle next year. And as you know, I'm a full-time theater teacher at Palmetto High School, a place that I love dearly with wonderful students. And at Palmetto, we also produce three productions per year with our company called the Mustang Stage Company. 
we also go to the state competition. And so I have been working essentially two full-time jobs for the past four years. And it has been very difficult, very challenging. Somehow we pulled it off. And when I looked at things, I realized that I could no longer keep going, knowing that both the program, the theater program at Palmetto, and the community theater of Milltown Players have grown to the point where not no one person can do both things. And so it is true that I am resigning in June, and I am sad about that. I've been teaching for 16 years in both Greenville and Anderson counties. And uh, the thing that I, I am excited about is that I can continue working with my students, current and past, at Milltown Players with our expanded programming. And uh, as they grow up and go to school and get jobs, if they stay in the area, I can continue working with them for as long as they like. So it's not really a total goodbye. It's just a, a different situation. And we intend to be involved with Anderson One, not only at Palmetto, but also Wren and Powdersville and other surrounding districts to try and engage those students and get them involved in uh, shows, not only as actors, but as technicians and designers one day. So really the sky's the limit, and um, I'm really excited about what the future may hold. Well, the arts are critical in any community. Tell people who may not have been over there what, what they can expect to find at uh, the Milltown Players. I mean, it, you know, when people um, that, that, that are just moved to the area or, some, or, or something like that may not be familiar with mm-hmm. an arts, you know, a, a growing arts community in Pelzer. Right. Pelzer, many thought it was the most unexpected of places for something like this to happen. And I would agree with them initially, but we took a chance. And uh, Anderson One contacted us and had a vacant, unused auditorium that, that used to be part of the school building that shut down about 10 years ago. It's a beautiful, historic auditorium, almost 100 years old. It has a balcony, has over 600 seats in it, a beautiful proscenium theater, and plenty of parking. And it's right there on the main street. It's called Levy Street which is also Highway 8, right through downtown Pelzer. And it's about uh, 30 minutes or less from the surrounding cities, such as Greenville, Easley, Anderson, Simpsonville and Fountain Inn. And it's an easy drive. It's right there on Highway 8, right off of Highway 29, close to 85. And what you can expect are generally shows that um, audiences want to see. A lot of our shows deal with um, southern comedies, country music, classic American musicals, songs from, uh, from time periods that we are familiar with, stories that we know. Most of our shows are very family-friendly and G-rated. Almost all of them are. And the best thing about it is that it's high-quality entertainment, but also very affordable. Tickets are only $10.00. Seniors and military get a discount of $8 and $7 for students. So you can see quality live performances right in your community for less than a movie. And Greenville, for example, has fantastic locally produced plays. But you're generally going to pay between $35 and $40 for a show in Greenville. And you'll pay uh, only 10 for our show. 
So you can come see our show four times for the price of one ticket in Greenville. Yeah, season pass almost. You can go yeah, sort of. That's right. This past year, uh, a regular ticket holder, season uh, ticket holder, could, could see the whole season for fifty bucks, and that's that's hard to beat. Well, okay. Uh, where's the best place for people to find out more about the Milltown players? The best place would be on our website, which is milltownplayers.org. We also have a very active Facebook page that folks can see updates of what's happening coming up. We have two special events in February that are going to be very exciting. On February 22nd, we're having our Season 5 reveal where we're going to have some light refreshments and some performances and talk about our 11 performances, our 11 productions that we are going to be mounting next season. It'll also be the chance for those folks there to get their first opportunity at season tickets and to pick the seats that they want for the whole season. And then right after that, February 23rd through the 25th, we're doing a special concert called a Broadway Cabaret in which uh, area performers from the upstate will sing some of their favorite Broadway tunes in a special evening concert. And tickets to those events are also only $10. And so we've got lots of things going on in February with California Dream and the Season 5 Reveal and also Broadway Cabaret, all of which are on sale on our website at MilltownPlayers.org. Well, fantastic. Well, man, I'm looking forward to trying to get over there. I'd like to see this California Dreaming thing. I told my wife we might have to Let me tell you. Yeah. It is so awesome. People don't want to leave after it's over. We leave them wanting more. My favorite section is the beginning of Act 2. We did a, a Credence Clearwater Revival medley, and I, I love that band, and to hear it live is so good. We've got a live five-piece band on stage, and they are rocking, and six performers whose voices are so good and so well-matched with the songs that they're singing. You are just going to leave there in the best mood. And if you like 60s music and you want to be entertained for an hour and a half solid, come on and see us. It is awesome. Sounds great. Well, listen, appreciate all you're doing in the community and all the Milltown players are doing. And we'll, uh, when you get your season reveal, we'll get together with you later and talk some more about it. Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be a great one. Thank hey, you, sir. Thanks, Will. I was at the show Saturday night, and I will tell you, it was wildly entertaining. My wife went, and she really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm not sure I've ever seen a local production like that that engaged the audience as much. People were encouraged to participate, to engage, to sing along, and it was, uh, it was a big audience as well, more than 450. I think I saw later maybe as many as 500 were there. And there's still eight shows left for this production, so you can check out Milltown Players on Facebook or MilltownPlayers.com at their website for tickets and information. Tickets are, the most expensive tickets are $10, and there's a discount for seniors and discount for military and discount for students. So it's cheaper than a movie, and as I said, it was a really entertaining, fun show. So if you're looking for something to do over the next few weekends, you've got a few more chances to see California Dreaming. And as I was talking about arts being such an important part of growing up in, in here, you know, arts really were more important, I think, in schools in a lot of ways when I was growing up here in Anderson. Uh, I remember so many teachers and librarians being very encouraging when, when I started my career in writing. In fact, uh, Ethel Allen, the librarian at Pendleton Elementary School, was the first person to submit uh, a, um, a, a manuscript that I had written in elementary school that was published. And I always remember her for that. 
But Anderson also is remembered for their arts by Anderson native Bryn McLean, who also grew up here. And she's the author of One Good Mama Bone, which is a fine novel set right here in Anderson, South Carolina in the 1940s and 50s. If you grew up here, you will recognize so many of the places and names in this excellent book. And it really is an excellent book. And it also is a book which holds the distinction of being the best novel ever written where one of the central characters is actually a cow. And I talked to Bryn, this was a few weeks back, about her book and about growing up in Anderson. And here are some of her memories and things she had to say about it. Writing is hard to get what you want down on that paper so that somebody else... Yes, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Let's start with the book then. How long did it take you to write your novel? Wow. Which version? (laughs) The one that that you got, they actually put out and somebody killed some trees and started selling to people. Well, actually, One Good Mama Bone is what became of a failed other novel. And I started that novel in June of 1999, took about four years, realized it was a failed novel, didn't know what to do with it, put it up, started researching the novel I'm writing right now, picked it back up in November of 2008, and took me four more years. People don't appreciate how her writing is. No. The discipline of writing and just, you know. It's, I mean... I, and I was very innocent when I first started writing. I first started writing fiction in 1988. I lived in Atlanta, Georgia. And I used to walk to work every day. And I remember walking by this condominium project that was being built. You know, they dig this, dig the earth out, lay the rebar, you know. And I remembered innocently thinking, oh, that's just like the novel I'm writing. Digging out the earth, laying the rebar, na 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 na. But it's not like that at all, because you know James Michener said that all writing is rewriting. So you just don't dig out the earth, lay the rebar, and that's the way it's going to be. And when you reach 300 pages, you're done. Now that's just the beginning. That just tells you what it is you have to work with. And I always go back and think, where's the magic in that? And then I go do more of that. Well, you know, Mike talks about the secret crappy first drafts. Yeah. We'll edit it for this little bit. But yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, that just finishing. And that's, that's the difference between people who finish the novel and people who are working on the novel. But, yeah, it's, it's hard. You know, it's the discipline of it. You know, I talk to a lot of people who say they're writers, but they're not writing. You know, it's kind of this thing up in your head that you think, oh, I'm a writer. That sounds so romantic. But, my gosh, you have to put your butt in the chair and work. What, what? Why was this novel the one you had to get out first? Yeah, it is. You said you had a couple others you tried. I think everybody I did. had a lot. I did. And, and Greg, I'm glad those first two weren't published. This one feels like the work of my life. It's part of the reason I was born, One Good Mama Bone. And I think it's because I, A, met a, well, wait a minute, let me, let me, let me think about that. Because Wanga Mama Bone is a book that only I could write. And I think as writers, that's what we have to get down to, is the book that you alone can write. No one could have written One Good Mama Bone. Part of that is because I made a connection with a cow, which a lot of people, I mean, that's, that's kind of rare. I know that, you know, people, oh, those are nice cows out in the pasture. Isn't that pretty? Oh, look at that green grass and look at that mama with the baby. But I made a connection with a mother cow, and that's the reason for One Good Mama Bone. Can I tell you about it? Oh, absolutely. I want to talk about it because, you know, what you're saying there, I don't think, I think this generation has more trouble understanding it. 
Uh, my dad grew up on a farm up in Bishop Branch community in the 30s. And yeah. Very connected to, to 4-H and FFA and his cows. And you, there's even old clips they saved from the paper, you know, sure, from the sure. 30s of him. And he actually had one that was a two-headed calf, which was really an interesting. Wow. He lived a long time, which was really. Oh, wow. But I, I should have started with this. You're from Anderson. and this, this is the first novel I can remember that deals with Anderson extensively. There have been others that have mentioned it yeah. and mentioned the area, but this yeah. is the first novel I can remember that really mentions Anderson very specifically, specific names of people. Mm. And I do, I, the only question I have so far is, is Mrs. Dobbins drinking Vim Herb? Vim Herb, is, she, is that Vim Herb? Yeah, Ritonga is another, yeah, it's okay. like Vim Herb, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what's so interesting about that is that women of that time, because drinking alcohol was taboo, you know, the men could kind of do that, but not the women. That this Ritonga had 36% alcohol. Hey, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty potent stuff. And that they, I've been told that they would keep it in the cupboard, in the corner, like with their spices. And so it was kind of the, a woman's, kind of a woman's thing. And so Mrs. Dobbins, yes, does drink, drink that. And, you know, people, I think, you mentioned being a novel based in Anderson. Um, I'm loving it because I'm feeling that, you know, there's some pride among folks I talk to in Anderson. Hey, I've got a novel. And, oh, uh, you know, I, I remember where South Carolina National Bank was. And, oh, you mentioned Sullivan's Hardware. Now it's a restaurant. And I think, Greg, people are loving going back down memory lane. And I think this novel not only takes them back to another time, that is the early 50s, which a lot of people like really want to go back and remember that time. But it takes them specifically back to that time in Anderson. How did you choose the, the very specific memories of Anderson? Because, you know, like you're saying, um, we used to do a morning radio show, and if you started talking about what used to be downtown, yeah. the phone lines just blew up. You couldn't get everything in because everybody wanted to talk about it. I remember when this store was here and I know. this place was here. Do you I remember know. this? I know. How did you decide what to pick, what to use, what names to use? How did that kind of play out? Well, I, like, you know, the Dobbins name, for example. I, I wanted a prominent cattle you know, family here in town. And for some crazy reason, I wanted a D. Why that was in my head, I will never know. So I remember the day I called up my father and said, Daddy, I want the name of a cattle family in Anderson that starts with a D. He said, why D? I said, I don't know, I just want a D. And so he starts down the names. And when he hit Dobbins, Greg, I can't tell you why. It just said, oh, that's it, Dobbins. So it became Dobbins. And this, for people who've been around Anderson forever will remember the Dobbins and also remember that it was, you know, Fred Dobbins and then we're on the first county council after home rule. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. had all the land and was trying to keep taxes down. And right, school board, I think, too. Yeah, there was Dobbins, yeah. It's, so it, uh, it's, a, it's a prominent uh, Anderson name. name. The roads, I mean, Dobbins Bridge Oh, Road. Dobbins Bridge Road, which is out where, where I live. So and you grew up where? I grew up in West Anderson at New Prospect. Okay. Down, going down towards the lake, just a little beyond Centerville, kind of on the, you know. So I definitely know Dobbins Bridge Road. And where else did you go to school? I went to Centerville. I went to Lakeside, and it kills my heart, you know. But I understand in the name of progress, but, you know, it just, oh, because I remember going by Lakeside when it was basically kind of in the midst of being demolished. And I remembered looking down there at the where the gym used to be, and that was my first school dance. And so you start thinking, oh, those memories. And then I went to Westside. And 
Have you, or how long have you been? Are you living in Anderson now? Or? No, I live outside of Nashville, but I'm here a lot. You're here a My lot. family's here. I'm here at least every six weeks. So you still got a lot of family here. How did they respond All my family, to the book? All my family's here but me. How did your family respond to the book? Um, they were proud of me. You know, and I think the other thing is I've always been a little bit of a renegade, a little bit of, you know, can't quite understand me. And I think they go, oh, all, all of that imagination and creativity that I've always brought to my life. Oh, uh, oh yeah, okay. So they see that it amounted to something. <laughs> now, so you grew up with animals, though. Oh, yeah, I grew up on a 72-acre beef cattle farm. Okay, okay. So when you say West, I know you prospect, you're not talking about a subdivision, you're talking about no, farm, farm. farm, 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 back before they had... And you were part of, of, of 4-H and FFA and all that stuff? No. No. I went to one 4-H meeting off of Dixon Road, I think fourth grade, but it was, you know, for girls, it was like sewing, and Greg, I'm just not that girl. Well, it's changed now, thank you. It, it's changed now. You now, see all the girls with their animals now. Yeah, but you, you know, the curtains and the this, and I'm just not real domestic, so me and 4-H didn't really have a, <laughs> a life together. So how did you help on the farm and get, develop this sort of connection with cattle and cows and stuff? Greg? When I grew up there, I, you know, I was around the daily activities, but I didn't, you know, do the 4 H and the steer or the this, that, and the other. I was, um, what did I do with my time? I was into books. I read a lot. I was, I made good grades, so I was smart. And I was kind of boy crazy also. And so I didn't really have that connection with the farm that I do today. I really don't. I do, though, remember wanting to be a writer, and I do remember taking a peanut butter sandwich and a canteen, an old army canteen of water, and going back to the highest point of Daddy's land and just sitting by myself in nature and writing. So that's what my connection was, more or less with the land and not the animals. Let me tell you about the connection with the animals and how this book came to be. So I had written this other novel. It was called Willie June. It was always a story that I wanted to celebrate motherhood, but it, it didn't work. My mom died in the process of me writing that book. And, you know, I finished it eventually, but it was a mess. I was a mess. The book was a mess. But I didn't know what to do about it, so I just put it up. And so in 2008, on November 5th, I remember the day, I'm visiting my daddy on that 72-acre farm that I've been telling you about. It was in the midst of what's known as a weaning, when they separate the mamas from the babies. And it's a time, if people aren't aware of it, it's a, it's a, it's a mournful, like, here's what the sounds are like. Oh, the mama's calling for the babies. The baby's calling back for the mamas. It's a standard farming practice because if you don't separate them, the mamas need that baby, that, that nutrition for their new babies inside. So uh, those sounds woke me up about five in the morning, those woeful sounds. And I put on my clothes, I went out to the pasture to 
this fence, this barbed wire fence, where I saw these mama cows pressing against it. Oh, calling for their babies 30 yards away. The babies calling back. And Greg, it was a moment that I felt this kind of electricity in my bones. And I knew in front of me, I knew this was the missing piece of the motherhood story I'd been trying to tell. And I made an instant decision, out with the old book, in with this. And there was a cow in the deep corner whose eyes were cut at me, I felt, asking, can't you bring my baby back? But of course I couldn't. But I said to her, but I can tell your story. That cow became my mama red. I bought her from my daddy some days later to save her from slaughter. She was 16 years old, way too old for a mama cow to still be around, but he'd allowed that. And he told me he would sell her. I said, no, you're not. I, he said, I have to, Brand. I said, no, you don't. I said, how much would she bring? And he said, $1,000. I said, the check's in the mail. So I'm happy to say that Mama Red is still alive, living on the family farm, and she's 25 years old. Greg, people are making field trips to Anderson to meet her. She's become such an important character. So the connection I was telling you about, I made a connection with that Mama Cow. And I knew then that this was my story and my alone to write. And so out from that came One Good Mama Bomb. I wanted to create circumstances for Sarah Creamer so that we would understand why she would so desperately need to get that steer and to get that steer to win so that I would see what she was made of, how much she would you know, go the distance. Because if she really could take it or leave it economically, because she needed that money that a grand champion would bring. And so I had to create circumstances for Sarah that were very, very dire. Well, talking about editing and rewriting, what did what did you have to cut out of the book that you wish uh, you could have saved? Gosh. You know, I, I don't have an answer to that, but I will tell you this. I wish I could have begun the book. The book doesn't begin where I wanted it to begin. The book begins where my editor wanted it to begin. I wanted it to begin the first time Sarah Creamer, my main character, addresses Mama Red, the mother cow. There are sections in the book that are monologues from Sarah as she tells her, you know this, mm -hmm. her life story to Mama Red in a kind of confessional. Sarah has no. I wanted the book to begin with that very first time that Sarah addresses Mama Red. But I was told that you can't begin with a woman talking to a cow out of context because people would think she was crazy. Looking back on it now, I, I kind of regret that decision that I let somebody tell me that. Because here, here are the words. I mean, I know them by my heart. She says, you done started on your teaching of me with my boy. Can I tell you that, girl? I don't know your name. What's your name? Mine's Sarah. I come back out here to thank you. I'm six days now into having to be his mama full on. But can I tell you something? I don't know how to be. I don't mean to be whispering, but them words, be a mama, they scare me. Your editor was wrong. I mean, that, even if you'd taken that chapter and then flashed right back to the other, yeah. it would have fed in. You would have started understanding earlier. I know. 
I agree. I think it was a mistake. Yeah. Still, I mean, the book's still strong, but I think you're right. It would have been stronger with the with that at the beginning. Yeah. I agree with you. Okay. Good. You saw what you said. You saw a lot of kin folks around here. A lot of there's a lot of McLeans around here. Oh my! Everybody's here. Kin to Bolt McLean. Oh my gosh, of course. Bolt is the son, I've got to trace it back now. <laughs> yeah, I know how that goes. Yeah. Bolt's the son of Randall, and I was just on Bellevue a while ago and I thought of Randall. Son of, of, of Randall, and Randall would have been my daddy's first cousin. Okay. So that would make me third cousin. Right. So Bolt's my third cousin. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because they're the bolts in my in my family too. Sarah, also, I will mention to people who haven't got the book yet. The audiobook's really good. Thank you. You do a great job with the dialects and the audiobooks. Well, thank and, you so much. I mean, you're from here, so you know what we sound like. <laughs> yeah. You're probably the only person to talk about Sarah much. That, Sarah. Yeah. Yeah, Sarah. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so the audiobook's really strong. Thank you. Uh, so I would suggest that people who haven't heard it, but. Yeah. Let's talk about a little bit about the writing process some more oh. since we were talking about that. Yeah, yeah. I know you on your website you have your sort of writer's place, your writing place. Mm -hmm. how, how did that develop and how well, did you move into that? And by place you mean the physical space that I yeah, write, where yeah, I write, right. under the stairs? Yeah. Yeah. I must have been a cat in another life. As gorgeous as God's creation is, when I create, I have to be in darkness. I have to be in a very closed-in dark space. So where I right now is beneath a stairwell. I open the door, and I have to, you know, you know, the floor is kind of low. So I actually have to bow my head and go in like this. And Greg, what I love about that is it reminds me to be in service to my people, to be in service to the work. So I'm, I'm bound, it's dark, I'm bound, I go around the corner, and I actually write in an old organ, it's about this wide, that's gutted out from the 1800s. It's got a, like a little desk, and what I love, I like to be kind of cozy and embraced. It's got kind of arms or sides to it. So I've got my little laptop, you know, on, on that little desktop, and I do have a, a lamp if I want to turn it on. But mostly I write in darkness. Only because, you know, I'm totally relying on what I can see and what I can hear and what I can create. And that's the environment for me. I've shown very few people where I write because it's sacred to me. I don't want their energy in there. But the but the few people that I have shown, though, ooh, it's claustrophobic. But for me, it doesn't close me down. It opens me up. Do you have a schedule that you follow? Or? I, since I've been on book tour, <laughs> it's been a little bit of an upheaval. But what is ideal for me is to get up at 3.30 in the morning before the world gets a hold of me or me a hold of the world, get my coffee, and then go into that writing space and go, and go for as long as I can. Some days if I have all day, that means go for three or four hours Maybe take a nap and then go some more. Other days, if I've got to, you know, do some work or go somewhere, then it will mean, you know, that. You see, I want to give my writing the best of me, at the, and that for me is early morning, versus the crumbs, the kind of leftovers, because I find that if I wait and do other things, I'm not going to get to it. Or if I do, I'm spent. 
back to Anderson coming out in your writings. What what are some of your favorite memories of growing up here? What oh, are some of your favorite things about Anderson? Oh, Sounds like you, even though you don't yeah. live here anymore, Anderson's oh, still inside of you. Oh, I, I mean, a memory flashed just as you said it. Um, I remember, oh gosh, I was probably in the ninth grade or so. I'm a twin, so I've got a partner in crime to go through life with. I remember Christmas, wanting to do some Christmas shopping. I remember my granddaddy, Fleet McLean, driving us from the farm downtown to the square in his Mercury. I can remember his cigar in his Mercury and dropping us off. And what my twin and I wanted to do is to Christmas shop. And what we were going to do is go from the square, going down Main Street, all the way to the Belvedere Plaza. And then my mama was going to come pick us up, say, at 5 o'clock. Yeah. That's a long ride. That's a long way. But you know, kids don't. But you see, it was safe. Nobody worried about anything. And I remembered shopping downtown, and Linda and I had a little bit of money, and, you know, going to those shops and just making our way north, up Main Street. And I remember we stopped at um, Little Pig's Barbecue in the Camp Shopping Center, had lunch, and just, you know, having the time of our life. There was um, a, a store that we liked to shop at called, gosh, am I remembering this, the, the Village or something like that? They had... My parents couldn't afford alpaca sweaters. That was what was popular back in the time. They were kind of like knockoffs, knockoffs of the alpaca, <laughs> a lot more loosely knit. And I remember me and Linda going in there and, you know, in the villager store and, and then just, you know, taking off and eventually, oh my gosh, getting to Belvedere Plaza. Um, and then maybe shopping at, um, probably J.M. Fields or some of those stores. But Kresge. 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 And I can still remember the smell of the popcorn. Do you remember that going mm-hmm. in? There's a nice big lunch counter Kresge over there when you came in. Big. And I bet you we stopped at Sears, you know, just down the road from where we are right now because you're making me remember smells. What about, do you remember the smell of the hot nuts in, in Sears? And so, you know, that was, uh, oh, you know, maybe cry. Now, did the girls... Uh, it was a very that? special time in Anderson. I mean, think about, I mean, what were we, um, 13, 14 years old? They would drop us off. <laughs> and, you know, no cell phones for safety to call in, oh, texting, oh, I got there safely. Dropping off. I think I, think I also recall that my mom said that we could ride the city bus to, to Belvedere. But Linda and I know, you know, we're kids. We walked the whole way. Oh, it was a wonderful memory. And if you lived in town, you could ride your bikes from the time you were six or eight downtown. Of course. But did, were the girls as excited about the the escalators and the bells? Oh, I the loved boys? it. Oh Those my things God. were fast. Too. I love the escalators. And what about <laughs> what about the uh, the um, um, elevator? What's that thing called? At at, at, uh, at Gallant Belk. Do you remember you get on the elevator and the lady who was sitting there on a stool in that bar, you know, that was mm, across? And then I used to like, right, like to ride that, but those escalators up and down in the old Bales building. Oh, yeah, totally. The pneumatic tubes that they would send. Oh, the pneumatic tubes. Yeah, I can messages still, and stuff. I can still hear it. Yeah, wonderful. wonderful. Oh, oh, John B. Lee's. John B. Lee's for music. Going in, you can buy them for 99 cents. I still have my John B. Lee's card that was punched. I think if you bought 
nine, you got a tenth one free. You, and you could take those records, those 45s, in the back and listen to them. I, I'm sure Linda and I stopped in John B. Lee's on our Christmas excursion that day. But why isn't it wonderful? I mean, our town, it's... The Christmas parade was the, even much bigger production uh, back in the... And, and we always stood at Sears. It was a big high wall. That's where our family stood. It was a tradition, the Christmas parade. You know, Anderson growing up here couldn't have been better because I had the farm life, which I swear by what that gives you. And then the town part of Anderson, you know, was, was, was just as, as heartwarming for some of the memories that I just told you about. You're a little generation later than, than, than like talking to my dad and my grandparents, but coming to town was a big deal for farm folks. It was not like the people who lived in town just walked downtown. No. Walk, ride their bike downtown. No, it was a real big deal. You go to town. You go to town. And like now, it's just, you don't say you go to town. You just say you go. You know, just go, 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 go. But you actually went to town. Go to town. Mom used to have her hair done on Saturdays at the Wilmary. That was, you know, just beyond down near New Pro, uh, First Baptist Church. And then, see, Linda and I would, would get so excited because we'd come up to the square. Woolworths. Woolworths. I remember getting banana splits. And they had this thing. There were balloons, seems like to me. And if you bought a balloon, it had a certain kind of discount in it for the food. I don't remember. But, I, oh, oh, and, the, and the, the photo booth right there in Woolworths. You know, we'd, we'd spend a quarter. I still got those strips of me and Linda in, uh, in the photo booth. Wonderful, wonderful memories. Rich memories, too, as for a writer, because when people are remembering small-town America, it was what Anderson was in the 50s and 60s. Really. Well, and you can see I drew on that. I, I drew on those small-town memories. Luther Dobbins, my antagonist, if you will, in the novel, comes to South Carolina National Bank. I, I remember. <laughs> oh, you know him? Oh, by the way, can we talk about that? Sure. One of the biggest questions, you know, he asked me what Anderson thinks about my book. Mm -hmm. Do you know what the biggest question is I'm getting? Who is? Who yeah. is Luther Dobbins? I'll say, I don't know. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, no, 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 really, I don't know. Tell me, I'll give him a list. Yeah, and, and, and listen, hey, get this. I was at a book signing in Atlanta, Georgia. There was a man there who grew up in Anderson. In the Q&A session, he raised his hand and said, hey, who was Luther Dobbins? I said, in Anderson, and I said, huh? And he said, I grew up there. Now, I know you know. I said, I don't know. He said, oh, yeah, you do. I said, no, I don't. So what's kind of cool here is people trying to figure out who Luther Dobbins was based on. And, Greg, I'm going to tell you, I made him up. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he represents so many people we've all. <laughs> if you grew up in church. Now, you grew up in church here? New Prospect yeah. Baptist Church. Okay. So we all knew. Certainly we're not painting. We're painting in very broad brushes here, but we all knew those deacons who... Who? Yeah, who, dot, dot, who, dot. Yeah, dot, <laughs> who? Fill in the blank. Who we all knew. Yeah, We're certainly deacons in some way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm loving talking about going down memory lane in Anderson because I think this is what people are really connecting with the book. Certainly here in Anderson, but also from other places because it was a real town that had its own uh, heart. Also that you gave birth to a character that people believe is a real guy. That's, that's amazing. That's what you're shooting for when you write. That you know, you read right. it. They, want, you want, they, know, they think this is a real person. They that is a real person. Writing, reporting about. <laughs> yeah, they do. Of course, they also asked me about Sarah, my main character, 
who she was based on. And people will guess, you know, was that your mother? Or was that your grandmother? I can't say that she's based on, on, on anybody except she represents the very best of us all. I had somebody at a book club last week say that reading Sarah Creamer makes her want to be better than she is. Yeah, that, and Sarah really represents something beyond Anderson, sort of this whole, you know, I've always told people that South Carolina and really should have been like Western North Carolina, South Carolina, Northeast Georgia, East Tennessee. Yeah. Those are the people who are very similar. That's I mean, right. She, she could have been in White Pine, Tennessee, just as easily as totally. Anderson, you know. Totally. So she very much represents the South, and we all knew, if you grew up here, you knew people like that. That's right. And, um, of course, we haven't talked about Ike Thrasher. No, and then, of course the Thrashers, you know, Thrasher so, family and Skins is... Yeah, I know, I know. But there was a Thrasher family that lived down the road from us, and they, I don't think, were connected with Skins. Uh, but I don't know why his name just came up, but that's another Anderson name, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ike Thrasher. And we all knew guys like Ike. That people yeah. didn't know what, know what to say and do with, you know, the kind yeah, know. folks were kind, and it's just, you know, yeah. the other folks were not. Yeah, and then the McDuffie Street Boarding House. Still and, right, well, still right, right across the street here. Yeah, oh, still, we're at it right now. Well, this, we're at the Anderson County Library, and talking about that while we're, we're there, we'll come right back to the boarding house. Yeah. You said you did a lot of your research here in the South Carolina. Right here. Camped out here, I spent enough dimes in those copy machines from from looking at newspapers and copying them. I think I funded a salary. In fact, I I know I did. I I was at that machine over there. I did tons of research, Greg, because I wanted it to be authentic. I wanted to know how much saltines were, how much pork and beans cost, the kinds of you know the brands back in the day, the scene with the choking scene for Luther Dobbins at the Calhoun Hotel. That actually took place, and I got that out of the newspaper here. Um, unfortunately, the farmer in real life died, but my Luther lives. Uh, how, how about Shoe of the Week? Shoe of the Week, I didn't even know about it. I got that out of the newspaper, sitting right over there in my research. You know, Welburn Shoes on the Square. I put that in my novel, Walter Gilliard, an actual broadcaster here, who actually announced the Shoe of the Week. And so that just felt so awesome to be able to get into those kinds of real memories here and in this town. And the fact that, like, back to the, there's still a boarding house across the street. <laughs> Yeah, and so that's where Ike lived. Yeah. And, and, and remember, and um, the Greasy Spoon sign. Yeah. That's one of our, oh, you just making me remember so much. Because I remember on Thursday nights, my dad worked at the post office, and he would, you know, come get us, and we would go, not every Thursday night, but, you know, the curb, curb people, curb boys, I guess, outside, and how that, that neon light danced. It appeared to dance with the grease Gosh, grease. Yeah, my kids off. now go, what are you talking about, greasy spoon? I know, yeah, greasy spoon. <laughs> I know, but I had, because that was, and I still have an old menu from 1961 from the greasy spoon. See, I love history. And I just had to put that in my novel. And so, you know, Ike Thrasher goes there and kind of moves his feet to that dancing spoon with the grease. Townhouse right next to it. Townhouse right next to it. Yeah, yeah. I know. Town if you went to the townhouse. Oh, I know. That was hoity-toity, wasn't it? Right. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever miss Anderson? I or? do. Every day. Every day. I'm here a lot, and, you know, I, I was just having breakfast with Catherine Smith, who, you know, lives here. Uh, and, yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, it's very special to me. 
there in, in writing this book reminds me of how special it is and how much I its fabric is in my DNA. And it's it's it it contributed to the kind of person I I became and am still becoming. So Anderson is part of my fabric. And I like to think, Greg, that this novel, One Good Mama Bone, is actually a love letter to Anderson from me. I think it will make people curious about Anderson. I think that's great. Where was this? Where was it? You, know, <laughs> yeah. you need to do a little guide. Have somebody for your website do a little guide where everything was that you talked about. Oh, that would be good. Oh, because some I, of the things are gone, but you know you could oh, put that guide together pretty quickly. Wouldn't that be awesome? Oh, and by the way, somebody sent me an email the other day and says, "Brand, when are you going to go before county council and ask for a road sign?" Anderson County, home of Mama Red. <laughs> there you go. Hey, no, hey, it could happen. Uh, certainly, you could start <laughs> if you if you wanted to, to build the, the momentum. You could start with the Prospect Community sign. And... Yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah, on That'd that road. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah. Okay, all right. Well, I'll have to go leave now because I got to go do you that. Talk to your council. <laughs> council meets tonight, so you're in town at the right time. Okay. <laughs> hey, that's, that could be an idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is now. Is there a movie coming? This thing just seems so visual. Oh, Greg. I'll let, can I tell you this? Sure. There's some movement in that direction. I've got a, a wonderful friend who's married to a high-level executive in movies who is has made it kind of their thing to try and get a movie made. So I, I don't know any more than that except I will tell you that there's movement in that direction well the storyline lends itself very much to a visual presentation you know some novels you'll read and you'll think they'll kill this book they make a movie. they'll make a movie out of it but they'll kill the book you know <laughs> yeah yeah but your book I think could be turned into something pretty pretty special thank you thank you so what's next you what's never, next writers don't stop writing no no so uh, I'm writing a novel that I'm titled took also set here in South Carolina, also in the early 50s. But this one is downstate a little bit because it's based on a real event that took place. In 1950, the federal government threw 3,000 dirt poor, dirt poor people off their land around Augusta, around Aiken. Yeah, I know you know what I'm talking about. To build the Savannah River plant, bomb plant, the bomb plant. And so I did oral histories with about 40-something people and I'm building a novel around the most dramatic story I heard, letting that be the centerpiece to carry the whole bomb plant story. So it's called Took. Well, I know this. I know that several people that I interviewed, and I interviewed them about 10 years ago, over half of them have died, and it's all been cancer. And it's not just in the water, it was also in the air. I know people in Allendale County and Allendale was on the backside of it. They, their land was not taken. Oh my gosh, the high prominence of, of cancer. And mutated animals, strange-looking deer. And strange, two-headed this, yeah. and I heard of uh, an owl that had all kind of wings coming out and all kind of this. And, and you know that they had this big pond called Par Pond that was a cooling, cooling waters from the reactors. Do you know that because they put that hot water into that pond the whole time, that pond never went dormant so that the animals, the fish who lived in there, the catfish and the bram, never went dormant. So they always ate 
they were at least three times as large as they should be. Yes, so I'm writing a novel. No, so that's my next book. It's called Took. You, you talked about the the special place Anderson has in your heart. Was it always? Did you always recognize that, or was it when you moved away and you realized how yeah, special? Yeah, yeah, moved away. And now, you know, I knew when I moved away. I, I moved down to Charleston, so you know that's kind of a whole different part of the state, isn't it? Different people. Just totally different. It could be different a different culture, state. Absolutely. Yeah, I, and so that even moving down there made me miss this. But now I live outside of Nashville, and my gosh. I miss Anderson deeply, yes, I do. So people who've lived here forever need to appreciate what we've got. Yeah, you don't know until, you know, it's not in your backyard every day. You realize how special and what a real gem we have here. So many of Bryn's relatives still live here. Her dad still here, lives here and has the farm. And and uh, I won't give too much away, but the cow in the book also is still alive here in Anderson, South Carolina. And she said people from all over the country have asked her about Anderson because of the book and would love to come see um, Mama Red. And the book is also uh, available in paperback. You can get it at Amazon. You can get it at McDowell's. I always encourage people to... McDowell's is not a paid advertiser of the podcast, but McDowell's is such an important... Local bookshops are vanishing, and and McDowell's Book, book Emporium uh, does such a good job here in Anderson. You can check them out on Facebook. Anyway, you can get the book there. Uh, some signed editions still there, I believe. Or you can check out BrynMcLean.com uh, online for more information. Well, this week uh, ahead brings a few more events of interest. I already mentioned Milltown Players, California Dreamin's got shows left. Uh, the Electric City Playhouse is doing lunch at the Piccadilly, and the reviews of that have been really good as well. That's this weekend, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. County Council meets Tuesday night, and they're going to look at a number of things. Of course, they have their honorees at 6 and then at 6.30 in the historic courthouse downtown. They're going to be looking at tax incentives for another economic development expansion a company codenamed Project Spindle. And I used to guess those so much they turned to throw them in. Uh, Burris Nelson said he'd quit trying to uh, make them sound like anything because I was always guessing who they were. Anyway, they're also going to talk about amending capital expenditures of the current fiscal budget year to shift some things around. You can find um, the full agenda. At, there's a link on the Anderson Observer newspaper online. There's also a link at the Anderson County website. You can go to I want to see the county's uh, county council agenda for this week. Also on Tuesday, Hugh Oldham will be at the Anderson County Museum talking about the history of aviation and air shows right here in Anderson, and he knows more about it than anybody. Great guy. I will be interviewing him. He's going to be one of my guests next week on the podcast, uh, along with Representative Brian White, who is chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, who really is over over in charge of the budget for the whole state. We've been talking a little bit to him about what's coming up. And we have a couple other people that are they're going to be on next week, so I'll save them as surprises. So, so be t- sure to tune in next week. And that's about it for this week's podcast. But I did want to say that Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill is celebrating its 19th anniversary in Anderson. And if you haven't been to Sullivan's, it's been rated repeatedly one of the top 100 restaurants in America, one of only two in South Carolina ever to receive that distinction. And it's because Bill Nickus and his wife Sabra took a chance on a, a really sleepy, slow, nothing going on downtown Anderson almost 20 years ago and helped kick off the renaissance of downtown. Everything that happened downtown, I really believe, was planted in the seeds of Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill and what they've done there by creating a fine dining establishment that have amazing food that's affordable 
And since then, they've also added Sullivan's Catering. So if you see Bill, thank him for taking that chance and going downtown when nobody else wanted to. And next week, we're going to have Bill right here on the podcast to talk about Sullivan's, about Sullivan's Caters, about their plans for the future, and also just talk about what a great guy he is because Bill Nickus, if you've never met him, has given back more to this community quietly than most people you know, and we really appreciate folks who do that. And that's why I say that that's it for this week's podcast. And until next time, be like Bill Nickus and get out and do something to make Anderson a better place. Hey.